It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Y'all know we generally keep the pods five days a week, but some news came out and we couldn't do a disservice of not getting it to y'all. And I couldn't do it without my partner in crime and the man with the sources, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? What's going on, Ethan? How are you, man? Well, Chris, it's been a hectic day for us both, but not more than the Cavs. For those who don't know, Darius Garland is expected to miss several weeks with a fractured jaw after a collision with Christoph Porzingis in Thursday's game against Boston. Cleveland will also be without Evan Mobley for six to eight weeks as he undergoes arthroscopic surgery on his left knee that has had him out for the last four games. Chris, when did you catch wind of these injuries and what are you hearing? Well, the Evan thing, you could kind of tell that something else was going on. He just had not been progressing a lot throughout the course of his recovery from knee soreness. And if you think about his knee soreness versus Karis LeVert's knee soreness and the timeline of both of them and what Karis was able to do behind the scenes when nobody was watching and what Evan was able to do behind the scenes, it just seemed like there was something else going on. I saw Evan the last time prior to Thursday's game. It was following shoot around and he was going through a light shooting session, testing out his knee with assistant coach Luke Walton and a couple of members of the training staff. But he hadn't been doing any two-on-two, no three-on-three. And then before last night's game, J.B. Biggerstaff said that there was something evident in there that was bothering Evan in his knee and that the Cavs were going to take their time and they were not going to put him in a situation where something even worse could happen. So Evan has been very, very quiet about this issue himself. He kept saying that he was okay, but it just didn't seem like he was making the progress in terms of his recovery. And I think that's what the Cavs recognized. They said, hey, look, like the rehab process that we have in place is not working the way that we intended. He's not making the progress that we want him to make. So let's take a further look at this thing and let's see if something else is going on. And then they determined that the best course of treatment moving forward was to get it cleaned up, get that loose body out of there and see if, you know, whenever it is he returns to the court, 
if that pain, if that soreness is going to go away. As for Darius, I mean, look, like that was a nasty hit that he took driving into Porzingis's hip. He was down on the court. It's funny because a couple of his teammates in the locker room after the game last night, Ethan, were like, hey, we thought you were just playing it up. We thought you were exaggerating, trying to get a call that you didn't get. And Darius was like, no, that really, really hurt. And he was spitting up blood. And in the locker room after, you know, he was talking. He seemed fine. He was interacting with his teammates. But he did say that it was a hit that he took to Porzingis that really, really hurt him. And, you know, anytime you have any of these kinds of injuries, usually what happens, Ethan, is that the team comes home from the road trip. They have their doctors examine a little bit further, something more detailed than what happens immediately after the game or during the game. And for the Cavs, they returned from Boston. They had both of these situations looked at and they got, in this case, some pretty bad news. Yeah. And looking ahead to the Cavs having to deal with not having two of their starters in a season that has been plagued by injuries. Let's look at some of the numbers of the Cavs already without these two players. The Cavs are 2-3 and three when Darius Garland doesn't play and 1-3 and three when Evan Mobley doesn't play this season. Overall, Cleveland is 8-12 without Mobley and 26-30 and 30 without Garland since they entered the league. So both losing records without those two guys. Looking at some defensive stats, Evan Mobley has the best defensive rating on the Cavs with 106.7 and the eighth best offensive rating with 108.9, while Darius Garland has the fourth best defensive rating on the Cavs with 108.6 and the fourth best offensive rating with 112.7. The Cavs defensive rating without Evan Mobley this season as a whole, 115.3 which is slightly worse than the Brooklyn Nets' regular defensive rating, who have a rating of 115.0. To put that into perspective, Chris, the Nets are currently ranked 20th in the league in defensive rating and 18th in opponents' points per game. That's not good. It's a significant loss, Ethan. There's a reason why he's in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. There's a reason why he was first-team all-defense last year. There's a reason why this team functions at such a high level on the defensive end of the floor with him and Jared Allen together. The things that Evan is able to do on the defensive end of the floor because he doesn't have to fulfill the responsibilities on defense that a prototypical five would that Jared Allen does. It just allows him to roam. It allows him to be a help side defender. It allows him to go out there on the perimeter, contest shots, cover a lot of ground, and You go from defending like the top team in the NBA, the Minnesota Timberwolves, to the equivalent of the Sacramento Kings and the Brooklyn Nets. That is a significant drop off for this team, combined with the fact that they were already middling on the offensive end of the floor, despite the fact that they had been playing better and racking up wins over the last two and a half, three weeks. It wasn't because their offense, their offense was still stuck in the mud. It was still bottom 10 in the NBA, both overall and over the last two and a half, three week stretch. So it was about their defense taking that step forward and holding the Atlanta Hawks down and the Orlando Magic and the Miami Heat and some of those other teams. Get this, the Cavs' offensive rating without Darius this season is 104.9. That would make them the worst offensive rate of team in the league behind the San Antonio Spurs, who have a 106 rating. 
That shouldn't be a surprise either because the Cavs backup point guard is in Barcelona dealing with mental health issues because he's trying to get himself right to see if he can ever come back to the team or come back to the NBA. And the guy who was supposed to be his understudy for a year turned backup point guard at the beginning of the season has been out since October 27th. So they're using Donovan Mitchell essentially as the backup point guard. Other times they're using Karis LeVert as the backup point guard. And the team is simply not going to run the same kind of way without a true backup point guard. So it's something that we talked about on this podcast a number of times about do the Cavs have to go out at the trade deadline and explore the possibility of adding somebody else in here, somebody that J.B. Bickerstaff is going to trust more than an undrafted rookie in Craig Porter Jr. And it's like now it's an even more glaring issue for this team. And I don't know how they're going to be able to navigate it in the short term. Ty Jerome, I believe, is getting closer. He did not go on this recent road trip with the Cavs because he stayed back in Cleveland to do a lot of on-court work to further his rehab process. So that's a good sign at the very least. But Ty Jerome is not a starting caliber point guard in the NBA. Even on a fill-in basis, he's not. So for a team that was already struggling offensively, they didn't have rhythm, they didn't have continuity, they didn't really have an offensive flow. They were trying to figure out combinations that worked, lineups that worked, all that kind of stuff. To now have to do that without the lone true point guard that J.B. Bickerstaff trusts on this roster, it is a daunting task. And now, Ethan, because of the Mobley thing on top of that, it's not like they can just lean into their defense as well. Right. Evan Mobley is a unicorn defender, has been in the Defensive Player of the Year discussion every year he's been in the league, and is one of the three NBA players averaging at least 15 points and 10 rebounds while shooting 55% from the field. And obviously, as Chris has said, Darius Garland is the maestro of this offense. There's no getting around it. This is going to be a struggle for the Cavs as they look to navigate a season without two of their top players. A season that we've said already, plagued by injuries, has seen the Cavs' expected opening night starting lineup available in just 11 of the first 25 games, with all but two players, and Max Struess and George Niang, having missed at least one game. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the realistic approaches that the Cavs could take. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and myself by subscribing to Subtext. Subtext is where Chris made the first Cleveland.com announcement of the injuries after confirming with his sources. Our subscribers got that information before it was posted on Twitter and even before the story went live on the website. It's an insider opportunity that you don't want to miss out on. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. And if you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast, and the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, we're back. I sent out a subtext earlier asking to hear the opinions and questions from our subscribers, even in just mentioning that it's a safe space if people just want to rant, because that's how we get down on the subtext channel about the situations unfolding with Evan and Darius's injuries, because it's just a lot to take in all at the same time. Here was the resounding themes from those messages. Fire JB, bring up Amani Bates and Isaiah Mobley, start Craig Porter Jr., and trade Donovan Mitchell. Let's get into each of these topics individually, Chris. Since the first round exit to the Knicks, the Cavs faithful has been calling for J.B. Bickerstaff dismissal. Chris and I have said that we believe that the Cavs will potentially wait until this postseason run to see if J.B. would remain the coach based on his decision making and other things. But now, as Cleveland sits at 13 and 12, I sit here with the belief that J.B.'s opportunity to showcase his coaching abilities is being put under a microscope with Evan and Darius being out. And if the Cavs, who are currently ninth in the Eastern Conference, fall under 500 and continue to lose, especially to teams like the Wizards, who they play four times between January and February, or the Spurs, who the Cavs play twice between January and February, there could be consideration to moving in a different direction, but it also depends on the play of the players, of course. What do you think, Chris? I just don't understand what people want JB to do in this kind of situation. In no way do I think the next month, month and a half is a reflection on how good he is as a coach. I think the real question coming into this year with JB is could he help this organization take the next step? The most difficult thing to do in the NBA, Ethan, is go from good to great. It's one thing to go from bad to good. We've seen that time and time again in the NBA. But can you go from good to great? That is a brutally difficult step that not every team can make. Think about last year in the playoffs and some of the teams that were surprises. The Cavs being one of them, obviously. They were the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. They won 51 games. Here they are, the nine seed in the Eastern Conference. The Sacramento Kings, they were one of the stories of the Western Conference last year. And they're just kind of like hovering around that last locked in playoff spot in the Western Conference. Very different than what they were last year. The Memphis Grizzlies, obviously, they've been dealing with a whole bunch of injuries. They've been dealing with the John Morant situation. But like staying consistently great after taking that step from good to great is very, very difficult. And that to me 
is the primary question when it comes to JB. Is he going to be the Cavs' Brett Brown, or can he be something better than that? I don't think you learn that when he doesn't have Darius Garland, when he doesn't have Evan Mobley, when he has to go deeper into his rotation than anybody anticipated coming into this year, when he's got to try and mix together lineups and combinations. Like, I don't know that anything else happens here during this stretch when it comes to JB, except that the pressure and the expectations change a little bit. How could you possibly have the same amount of pressure that you had coming into this year? How could this organization have the same expectations that they're going to remain a playoff team, that they're going to remain a legitimate quote-unquote contender the way that they view themselves when they're going to be without Darius Garland for probably about a month and they're going to be without Evan Mobley for close to two months, if not longer than that. It's just, to me, if anything, this could potentially free up JB and perhaps end the conversation about whether the Cavs have to move on from him. Because, like, the reason to move on from him during the season is because you felt like you were underachieving and you could be better than what you were showing. You know what I mean? Like, you still had something to play for. You still had something to chase. And you needed a new voice. You needed a new system. You needed a new identity. You needed a new whatever to reach those particular goals. I gotta believe that even though the organization probably won't admit it publicly, the goals today are a lot different than what they were two days ago. They have to be. Right. I think it's more so about his coaching decisions and rotations that he's going to put together because you're without two of your best players. And honestly, if the Cavs can somehow, somehow pull out wins against teams that they shouldn't win against with the rotation and the roster that they now have for the next two months, I think that the conversation about having JB get dismissed needs to be alleviated altogether. I disagree. What do you think? I disagree because I just don't think that that is how he's going to be judged. And I just don't think that that's the question with JB. So like throughout the course of his career and during his time with the Cavs, he has shown some good things in terms of building a foundation, putting a culture in place, getting teams through difficult times in a rebuild and like getting them back to a respectable level. The same way that Brett Brown did with the Philadelphia 76ers. The question with JB is, can he be the coach to lead a franchise to a championship? And like his ability to overachieve with a plucky group of play hard guys, like doesn't tell you anything about that. You've already seen that from JB. You've already seen him get a team to buy into defense. You've already seen him get a team to overachieve. You've already seen him take lesser pieces and find a way to piece it together into something respectable. Like that's not the question with him. The question with him is, can he get this organization to the level of Boston, to the level of Milwaukee? Is he good enough as a tactician, as an X's and O's guy, as an in-game adjuster when it comes to a potential seven-game series against some of the better tacticians in the NBA that he's going to face if this team is going to take the next step. So to me, like, yeah, it would be great for him if he could find a way to keep this team competitive, keep them afloat and stuff like that. But it doesn't take away the primary questions that surround him as a coach and whether he can be the coach to take a team to the next level or if the Cavs have to find a guy 
that can do that for this organization eventually. So you think that we're still going to have to wait to see what the organization does with JB in the future, especially after this situation with Darius and Evan is resolved? Without a doubt. I mean, to this point, Ethan, this is a team that came into the season with great expectations, with a whole lot of pressure, coming off their first playoff appearance since 2018, and they have underachieved. And we can talk about the reasons why. We can talk about how that has happened. But because they have underachieved to this point, and because they've been one of the great disappointments in the NBA to this point, I think there are still legitimate questions, no matter what happens from this point on, about JB and about whether he is the right coach for this group. So like the last time you saw this team close to full strength, or at least built like the team, something close to the team that people expected to once again be a contending team in the NBA, he didn't have them playing like that. That's hard to erase, right? All right. Next topic, bringing up the two-way players. Mm, I know where you're going with this one. Oh, God. You know what? (laughs) I know where the fans are going with this one. I think this is a good time to discuss what the potential starting lineup could look like. And Chris, I know we've talked about Karis LeVert getting comfortable in his bench role, but in the seemingly dire situation, do you see the Cavs starting Karis LeVert or Craig Porter Jr.? I have absolutely no idea. It's complicated, right? Because you would think that the Cavs need something close to a true point guard. And the guy remaining on this roster that is the closest to a true point guard, is Craig Porter Jr. But like, JB hasn't fully trusted him. There have been some ups and downs, especially on the defensive end of the floor. He is an undrafted rookie free agent on a two-way contract. So going from a guy who sometimes plays, sometimes doesn't, to the full-time starting point guard, boy, is that a drastic jump. I just don't know that they have another viable option. I agree with you. I think Craig Porter Jr. is the only other true point guard on that roster. Do you think they stick with Karras playing off the bench. I think that's the biggest thing because that's where he's been comfortable. He's still trying to go after that sixth man of the year award. But I think at this point, like we're trying to weigh what JB and the organization think is best. Yeah, I mean, I think it all depends on how this organization and how JB feels about Donovan Mitchell playing full-time point guard. Yeah, and then who slides into the two? Right, because if they feel great about Donovan playing full-time point guard, then I think it is Karis LeVert. And I think the other pieces remain the same, and Dean Wade probably slides into Evan Mobley's old spot at power forward. But if the Cavs are looking at the situation saying, like, that's a little bit too much of an offensive burden for Donovan, we don't want to do that to him then I think the answer is Craig Porter Jr. until Ty Jerome is ready and recovered from his ankle sprain, whenever that is going to be. Okay, I agree. I think the potential two lineups would be Donovan, Karras, Struess, Wade, and Allen, or Craig, Donovan, Struess, Wade, and Allen. I agree with that. We already talked about Dean Wade taking over Evan Mobley's spot because that's been what they've been doing since... He's been out for the last four games. The Cavs have had to play without Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, and Donovan Mitchell all in spurts this season. We saw Craig Porter Jr. and Imani Bates get minutes during those stretches, and now Imani has gotten some more run at the Cleveland Charge level, where he is currently ranked fifth in points per game in the G League. 
Is it time to give the two-way guys an NBA shot on a consistent basis? One of them, sure. I don't think it is for Amani. There is a clear difference in readiness and maturity between 23-year-old Craig Porter Jr. and 19-year-old Amani Bates in terms of the things that the Cavs need to navigate this situation. Like Craig Porter Jr. makes sense. He gives you playmaking, ball handling, some ability to run an offense. He's good in the pick and roll. He's able to get into the paint, similar to Darius, so he can create shots for himself. He can create shots for others. And it makes sense. When it comes to Imani Bates, like what is he bringing, theoretically, that the Cavs desperately need during this stretch and don't already have? The best thing that Imani does is he shoots. He's a volume shooter. He's a volume scorer. But he's not going to get the shot attempts here in Cleveland that he got with the charge. He's not going to get the open looks that he got with the charge here in Cleveland playing in the NBA. And it's just like, I don't know how bringing up Imani Bates correlates with either Darius or Evan missing extended stretches. I think Imani Bates would correlate if Max Struess was out for a long stretch combined with what else is missing on the team. I just, I don't think this is the time where you say, all right, things aren't going so well. We're 13 and 12. We're number nine in the Eastern Conference. Doesn't feel like we have a whole lot of hope to keep our playoff hopes alive. Let's just have a youth movement. I don't think the Cavs are at that particular point. Maybe at the end of the season, they do get to that point. But right now, to me, it's about trying to navigate this situation the best that you can and stay competitive for now in the Eastern Conference. Even though the goals probably aren't the same, even though the pressure and expectations aren't the same, you still want to stay competitive. You still want to see if you can keep this thing together long enough for when Darius comes back, when Evan Mobley comes back. It's not time, in my opinion, for this full-on youth movement, and I just don't know why bringing up Imani Bates is even in the discussion when, how much is he going to play? What's his role going to be? So like, let's look at this. We know that JB is most comfortable with a 9-10 man rotation, okay? So if we're looking at it and we're taking Darius out of the mix and we're taking Evan Mobley out of the mix, I don't know what the starting lineup's going to be. But I think we can say that the top five in the rotation are Donovan Mitchell, Karis LeVert, Max Struess, Dean Wade, Jared Allen. Whether that's the starting lineup, that remains to be seen. But they're the top five in the rotation, okay? Then you have Isaac Okoro, and you have George Niang. So there's your seven. Now you're just looking at two more, right? When Ty Jerome comes back, and he's healthy, and he's recovered from this ankle issue, he's going to be in the mix almost by default. Although it's probably going to take him a lot of time to get back into game shape and get back into a situation where he can be effective. Not just healthy, but effective. And then Craig Porter Jr., you're going to need his playmaking, his ball handling, and his ability to run an offense. Tristan Thompson's going to be in that mix because he's got to be more of the backup center now because you can't use Evan Mobley as a five alongside four shooters. You can't use Jarrett as a five alongside four shooters as much and get away with it. So Tristan's going to be needed. He's not just like a luxury piece that you're going to bring off the bench when you need toughness and you need a little bit more size on the inside and one of the other big guys is in fall trouble. Like he is the backup center and the best option at backup center right now. So it's like you're already at eight slash nine. Where does Imani fit in that equation? And is it worth just bringing him up there to sit on the bench as the 12th or 13th guy 
and take away the reps and the development opportunities that he's getting in the G League? To me, the answer to that is a clear, emphatic no. All right. And I think that <laughs> leads me to this question, which is the same as asking about Amani, but the only difference is he's got a little bit more age. Where does Isaiah Mobley fit into this conversation, if at all? I don't think he does. Yeah. I mean, fans were asking, saying that bring Amani and Isaiah up. We go based on what JB has done with his front court rotation. Tristan Thompson, George Niang, Damian Jones are going to get more opportunities and Dean Wade at the power forward spot. Maybe even Max Struess in a small ball power forward role. They're going to get more opportunities in playing time than somebody like Isaiah Mo. They've earned more of the benefit of the doubt. They have more of a resume. They have more trust built with JB. Now, Damian Jones has been bad. He was bad at the beginning of the season. He lost his backup job to Tristan Thompson quickly. And the Cavs went back to Damian against Miami during this this most recent road trip. And it's not like he was all that effective, but I think there's still enough belief from the coaching staff, or at least there's more belief in his ability to play somewhat productive minutes as the third big, as opposed to somebody like Isaiah Mobley. Okay, Chris. Last question of the podcast, and it's a big one. I'm going to ask you straight up. How do you think the Cavs' current situation affects Donovan Mitchell and the potential of trading for new pieces? From everything that I have been told today, and I've been asking as many people as possible after all of this news broke, and, and it's very, very difficult, right? Because the Cavs are regrouping. They're probably reevaluating everything. They're trying to wrap their heads around this situation that they're about to be in. Even they were about to enter a four-game homestand with some winnable games where they could build momentum, they could build consistency and continuity, and all that kind of stuff, right? And they could feel better about themselves going into the new year. And now that's just all thrown into chaos. So I think they're still trying to wrap their heads around this and figure out their best potential direction, both the coaching staff and the front office. But everything that I have gathered today, earlier this morning when I made calls on this, and this afternoon when I made calls on this, is that the Cavs don't have any kind of increased appetite when it comes to trading Donovan Mitchell as a result of this. They truly believe in this roster that they have, and they just want to see what it looks like when they're all together. They're not going to have that opportunity for a long time, but I just don't see them pushing that button, one that they cannot undo, one that is a major button to push. I can't see them pushing it until they know for sure what this looks like. This team that they assembled that they thought was going to be a competitor in the Eastern Conference, the team that they haven't gotten an opportunity to see. It's hard for me to sit here and say that just because Darius is going to miss an extended amount of time and Evan Mobley is going to miss an extended amount of time, that the Cavs are going to change their thinking on that so drastically that they are going to trade away their best player and one of the 20 best players in the NBA. So Donovan has a player option in 2025-26. This season seems like it hasn't had a lot of opportunities for that main group to get a visual together. Is next year the make or break year? Because I feel like we have to look that far if we're talking about them not being able to see what they need to see from the starting five that they wanted in the roster at full health that they needed to get a clear representation of what this team can be. 
well, Ethan, I thought this was the make or break year. I thought this was the pressure packed year. So if it's no longer this year, then yes, it would absolutely be next year. I, I think the most likely outcome for the Cavs, I think something that we have to point out here too, Ethan, is that who knows where the Cavs are going to finish this season. Right now, they're number nine in the Eastern Conference, and it's not like they were playing all that well. And there was a real possibility that even close to full strength, that they were just going to hover around 500 and maybe even have to fight their way into the playoffs through the play-in tournament. Like, we talked about it. Indiana probably isn't going anywhere. Like They're not going to collapse completely and fall outside the top 10 or something like that. Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, they've all separated themselves. The Magic seem more real than not at this point. So it was going to be a battle anyway for the Cavs to earn one of the top six locked-in playoff spots in the Eastern Conference. And there was no guarantee that it was going to happen even if they got close to full strength, even if they had more time together. But in saying all of that, like right now they're nine, and there's a real possibility that not only do they miss the playoffs, but they miss out on the play-in tournament. Like this is Evan Mobley we're talking about that they're going to be missing for two months, maybe even longer. This is Darius Garland. These are some of their most important players. These are some of their barometers for success. So I don't think it's outrageous to sit here and wonder, can they even stay in the play-in tournament mix? And if that's the case, they do have their 2024 first round pick. Like of all the picks that they're giving to the Utah Jazz as a result of the Donovan Mitchell trade, one of the ones that they're keeping for themselves is this year's pick. So that could become a pretty important asset. And if they don't feel like they can stay in the play-in tournament mix, then I think what they're more likely to consider, rather than the Donovan Mitchell button, which it would take a massive haul for the Cavs to even consider it. And I just don't think they have an appetite for it. But I think it's much more likely that they think about what can we get in a package involving Isaac Okoro? What can we get in a package involving... Isaac Okoro and Ricky Rubio's team-friendly contract. What about Karis LeVert? Like, those are the guys that I think would be more realistic that the Cavs would consider moving off of to recoup some assets rather than hitting the panic button and trading away Donovan Mitchell. George Niang is somebody else that I could see them considering moving off of. Dean Wade. And that doesn't mean that the Cavs are going to get like great assets back in return in these hypothetical deals, or they're going to get significant pieces back that are going to crack the top five of their rotation or become fill-in starters for Evan Mobley or become starting point guards who also play backup when Darius Garland is healthy. It just means like, those expendable pieces become a more realistic path to the Cavs improving their future somehow, some way. If that's the direction that they want to go in. And there's no guarantee that they go that direction. What do you think they should do with Donovan? What I think they should do with Donovan? I think... Yeah, because like on one hand, he would be the clear-cut best trade piece available. And there are teams that would want him. Lots of teams that I would think... want him. I honestly think they did too much to get him here to just go ahead and trade him away, especially with knowing that they have Darius and knowing that they have Evan and Jarrett and those players that they can build around already. I don't see the Cavs needing to blow it all up. I am in agreement with you that it would have to be the smaller pieces to go to try and find better role players, better rotation players to build around this team 
or people that could step up in a bigger role. But Donovan Mitchell, the amount of picks that they gave up, the amount of time and effort that they put into that trade deal to get him here, he's only been here for this is his second season. Like to say that in year two, you want to just throw it away is not only alarming to me, but like have some faith is what I would think. Like you have a whole nother year. People were saying like we mentioned earlier, we thought this was the make or break year because he hasn't signed an extension yet. But if they have next year, I don't see a reason why Cavs fans or the Cavs organization would go away from a roster that they have faith in already. Because you think about the people on this team, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, two of the best defensive front court pieces together. Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, two of the best offensive backcourt together a shooter and max Struess. do you need better rotation of players on the offensive end yes but we've also talked about how good the defensive prowess is of the people on the bench isaac okoro dean wade sure you have jordan niang who can shoot the ball sam merrill who can shoot the ball but that's at a certain clip like we've mentioned i don't think the Cavs would go ahead and trade donovan mitchell at this moment because You have to see what happens. Like, it can't be an immediate thing. Who knows? The bench has had so much experience playing more minutes this season. They could shock you and say, oh, we've been in this situation before. We're used to it. Let's show you that we can come back and do this and better than we did the first time because now we're used to it. That's where my mind is at right now with it. Like, you just got to give it a chance. Give it some time. Give it some grace. Like, that's what the Cavs organization is doing. And we've talked about that with how they look at J.B. Bickerstaff. We talk about how they look at this rotation. And the upper management is giving a lot of pulling room on that rope. But I think it's warranted. This season might be considered a failure in the eyes of the fans, in the eyes of the organization. But you got to also look at what has happened. And it's also, we're not even at the halfway point. Who knows what could happen? There's a lot of things that could happen. There's a lot of things that could happen to other teams. Other teams could catch the injury bug. It's too early to make that decision for me, especially when Donovan Mitchell has had successful games, has had 40-point games, has had like 10 rebound games that he hasn't had a whole lot in his career. So you know what you're getting in that star power. Sure, is he shooting not as efficiently as he has in his career? Maybe. Is he having to give the ball up to Darius Garland more? Sure. Fans, now you'll get to see Donovan Mitchell shoot the ball like Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma. I don't think you want that. I know. (laughs) Not shooting it like it. Shooting as many times. (laughs) At the volume. Yeah, the volume volume of that. There's also, Ethan, a dirty little secret when it comes to the Donovan Mitchell thing. It has been successful. I understand that fans are so pissed about them flaming out in the first round against the Knicks and assuming that because it happened last year against the Knicks, that it was going to happen again this year. And I know that fans have already made up their mind that Darius and Donovan don't work together. And J.B. Bickerstaff is a doofus that doesn't know what he's doing and all those kinds of things. But since Donovan got here, number one, he became an all-star starter for the first time in his career. Number two, he had a career year individually. Number three, the Cavs had one of their most successful regular seasons of the last decade. They made the playoffs for the first time 
since 2018. They made the playoffs without LeBron James for the first time in two decades. And Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, their net rating, when they're on the court together, the Cavs are one of the best teams in the NBA, right? Obviously, there are other pieces. There are three other pieces that you have to be on the court with you. But you have seen it work. You have seen Donovan take this team back to relevance. You have seen him and Darius shred opponents when they're on the floor together. The Cavs' problems this year came when one of them was off the court. They needed them both on the court to be operating at their best. You have also seen like a starting five that has added a competent two-way wing that can shoot from the outside and create more movement and more dynamic offense turn this core four into a really, really formidable starting five. So it's like the pieces fit. It's worked well. Donovan has held up his end because he's become an MVP candidate, an all-star starter. And even though the team is off to a slow start this year and they've underachieved to this point, it's not because Donovan Mitchell doesn't fit. It's not because Donovan Mitchell is not good enough. So it's like if all those things weren't true, then I could sit here and say, okay, it makes sense to break up him and Darius. Okay, it makes sense to trade him away because this starting five just isn't going to be it. It's not going to be the starting five that takes the Cavs to the next level, that gets them out of the first round of the playoffs. And it's just like, sometimes I think people have started to focus on the wrong things when it comes to assessing this team and evaluating how good they are or can be. And it's like, they're not focusing on the real problems with this team. They've made up their mind about the closest piece of low-hanging fruit, and they're just grabbing at that. And I think the Cavs fans will be, or would be, absolutely pissed off if the Cavs traded Donovan to another team in the Eastern Conference, and he came back and shredded this team. Because ultimately, that's what it would look like. Because... Donovan Mitchell is 27 years old. He's in his prime. He finished sixth in the MVP voting last year. Sixth. And you want to send him away for some pieces that you don't know if could or could not work, right? And for at least the next three years, who knows how he is when he gets to 30 years old? You know that he is going to be a high-level player, top 10, top 15 player in the league, potentially. I'm going to end on that because we've beat the – horse on the head with that one so I don't think it's smart for the Cavs fans to think Donovan Mitchell to get created I don't think it's gonna happen point blank period like what are you gonna get for Donovan are you gonna get Tyler Hero and Jaime Jaquez Jr how much better does that make you well I mean seriously like Miami probably thinks hey if we trade for Donovan we got a chance to keep him long term maybe a better chance than the Cavs are you gonna get Quentin Grimes and RJ Barrett from the New York Knicks Like, what are you really going to get that is going to make you significantly better by pushing that button, both in the short term and in the long term? I just don't see it. I don't think the Cavs fans could be happy right now just because of the injuries that just happened. But if the Cavs went and traded Donovan Mitchell to a team and they ended up getting back two players, three players and a draft pick that are rotation players, I think they would be living. Yeah. So here's the other thing, too. Like, if the Cavs, if they get the feeling that Donovan is not going to commit to them long-term, whether he says that to them outright or they just get that vibe from him, then this is a different discussion. It's a completely different discussion. All right, with that, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. 
But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and myself by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.